You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Welcome to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. State capture has been on everybody's lips since the Gupta family were allegedly linked to corruption of government and state-owned enterprises' employees on a grand scale. It now turns out that the Guptas may have just been the tip of the iceberg. In recent weeks, we have heard explosive testimony about Basasa and associated companies involved in alleged corrupt practices. Last year, we heard that the company associated with EOH, known as FDA, was under investigation for alleged corruption in the awarding of contracts for the South African Police Services. Last week, a story broke that EOH may have been implicated in the irregular award of a defense contract worth approximately 120 million rand. In today's show, I chat to South Africa's most famous whistleblower, Angelo Agrizi. I wish to remind you the views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of Chai FM, its employees, or its freelance employees, other employers. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Angelo Agrizi, welcome to the show. Chad, thank you and good afternoon to yourself and all the listeners and I uh, trust you all having a blessed day. Angela, the most important question on my lips after, after hearing your testimony at the State Capture Inquiry, etc., is how is your health? I am in perfect health. Uh, my health couldn't have been better and I think with all the stress that I've been through in the last 19 years taken away, I think that my health is phenomenal. I remember you discussing what had happened with your heart and that you had an operation where you actually died on the table. Um, this being resolved, you must be on heavy meds. I'm pretty healthy, I'm active, and yes, I'm, I'm doing well now. Before we get down to it, um, should our listeners have any questions for Angelo, they can send an SMS to 34519 or they can WhatsApp the studio on 061-895-1019. Angelo, let's dive right in. How long did you work for Basasa and its associated companies? I, I worked for Basasa for close on 19 years. 19 years is a long time. What took you so long to come forward and make these incredible allegations during your testimony at the State Capture Inquiry? Well, it's been a long time coming, and I think it's, it's the same question I ask women that are in abusive relationships. Why do you stick it out so long? Well, because you hope it's going to get better. You can only make recommendations. You can only try and speak to people to try and change their ways. Um, it took me quite considerable amount of time, years, to get out of it. And to be quite honest with you, Chad, it was like living and working in a cult environment. Well, (laughs) my next question. People have described working for Basasa as almost cult-like. And that would tie into what you said about women in abusive relationship where they would get Stockholm Syndrome. Why do you think people view Basasa as almost cult-like? Well, I think that that using religion and using prayer meetings, for instance, every single morning to be able to um, communicate to people and to to kind of cover up the bad stuff is is makes it a cult. I mean, we've seen it all over the world. You've appeared before the state capture inquiry, and shortly thereafter, you and others who are allegedly implicating corruption were arrested. Uh, the obvious question that everybody wants to know: Why was Gavin Watson not arrested? I'd like to answer that. I'd, I'd, be, I'd love to answer that question for you, but quite simply, Gavin Watson is very clever in how he does things. His name doesn't appear anywhere, and he always pushes other people to the front. We're definitely going to talk about Watson a little bit later. When one hears the names Palazzolo, Mazzotti, Agliotti, and now Agrizi, one would think that with all these names ending in vowels, that South Africa is, is run by alleged Italian mafia figures. 
<laughs> How is it that your family came to South Africa? Well, tell us about your heritage. Well, my heritage is very simple. My father came to South Africa in the 1950s, um, and he stayed. He married a South African girl, and he enjoyed the way she was cooking, and he stayed. And um, that's my heritage. I'm a South African-born, lived in Germiston for a good part of 20 years of my life, and then moved around the country. What is your background? What is it that you did before Basasa? Well, before Basasa, I was very involved with food. So I started my life out in a little bakery that a lot of your community will know in the Germiston area called Roxana Bakery. It was a favorite hangout of all the Jewish people as well. And I started learning how to bake bread there at the age of 14 years old. I then got into the food business, and I'm actually a qualified chef by trade. You're talking about your family, and, and I can see that you're very close to your family. But... Are you now afraid based on what's come out for the for the safety of your family and for yourself? I'm not afraid at all. I do believe that uh, God is my back and I'm doing the right things for the right reasons. And for that reason, I'm not worried about it at all. We're going to get to the heart-hitting questions after this break. And remember, you can send an SMS to 34519 or WhatsApp to 061-895-1019. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. We're chatting to Angelo Igrizi, and today's topic, obviously, is state capture, Busasa Associated Companies, and the explosive testimony at the state capture inquiry. Jeff has just sent a message in, and his message is, is quite simple and to the point. He says, Angelo, how do you hold a prayer meeting and then reconcile with uh, committing corrupt practices straight thereafter? Well, that's exactly why they'd hold the prayer meetings, is to try and negate the perception that it was corruption. And once in a while, donate money to a charitable organization, a Christian-based organization. I even remember sponsoring a whole team of people to go to um, Israel on a tour. Um, and that's the way you would negate corruption. Well, that's the way that Gavin Watson would negate corruption out there, is by actually going out there and saying, well, we're doing all this good, and that is from money that we've made out of the business. And to make the business successful, unfortunately, we have to do in Africa as Africans would want to do. Before we went to the break, I asked you, are you concerned for your, your family's safety and your safety? Can you tell me more about the allegations that a man that um, – may have had information or had been making allegations was poisoned due to issues relating to Basasa. I don't want to go into that too much, Thomas, but uh, sorry, Chad, but what the problem is is that, yes, there are very suspicious circumstances around it. The matter is currently subjudicate, and I think the police will do their job in getting around to it. Tell us more about the primary business of Basasa and its associated companies, specifically in the time that you spent there. Well, when I spent there, when I started off initially, um, they had the Lindella repatriation facility and one or two youth centers, um, and then one mine that did facilities management. So the whole group was geared around doing facilities management for the mining industry, and that then branched out to doing youth development centers, and then also to look at a fleet, managed fleet vehicle services for government as well. And then there was the security aspect, which they did as well. 
Let's talk about Lindella. For our listeners that are unfamiliar with Lindella, um, please explain to us what, what exactly is the Lindella facility. Well, the Lindella facility has been running since 1995, and it's a facility that's used to house undocumented or illegal migrants. So we have a big influx of unidentified migrants in South Africa, and Lindella is a holding place. And the word actually means Lindella, place of holding. That is basically the context of it is to hold people that are illegally in our country and they are then deported from Lindella to their various countries of origin. Rumors uh, have circulated for years about Lindella. Um, there's been allegations of assault, rapes and even murders. Is this true? I don't want to go into the murders, but yes, I can agree that Lindella has been very infamous. Um, who was responsible for the actual security at Lindella? Was it the Re- Department of Correctional Services? No. The, the, no. The Department of Home Affairs was responsible for the deportation and the arresting of the undocumented migrants. The people responsible for the housing, accommodation, catering and that would, be, would have been Bassas at that stage or Leading Prospect Trading, the company's uh, trading name. See, that's where I have a problem because with regards to Department of Corrections, if something had to happen in one of their prisons, even if it was under private control, they have an inspector judge who actually goes and visits these facilities. Who investigated complaints against the Busasa guards at a place like Lindella? Well, you see, that's, uh, you've, got, you've hit the nail on the head there. Who does? Has IPID got the responsibility for investigating? All, the, all that you can actually do is get the Portfolio Committee on, on, on Home Affairs to investigate that. Yes, there are human rights, and human rights were offered a position and an office at Lindella on numerous occasions, which, strangely enough, they didn't take up. So you have got a fundamental point there, which means that, you know, government needs to look into that. Is there a need for a place like Lindella? I don't know anymore. I honestly believe that it should be decentralized to the actual border post. Chad, to give you an idea, I think we spend in excess of 20 million rand per year just on deporting these these undocumented migrants to all over the world. Surely, if we've got them right at the borders, we can then handle it more effectively. And the majority of them are Zimbabweans and Mozambicans. It's a heartbreaking situation to hear that people who are refugees, some may have been looking for asylum, may have been, some may have been looking for a better life, some may have actually been fugitives on the run from their own home governments, but the fact remains is they became nobodies. They were sitting in limbo and being guarded by an organization that didn't actually form part of the security cluster. Surely this opened up um, the possibility of, of mass abuse of these, of these, for want of a better word, prisoners, people waiting to be repatriated. I think the abuse really, really did surface at one stage, and I think we put in measures at that stage as Basasa to be able to counter it. So all in all, although Lindella got a bad rap, I must tell you that it was effectively run and managed at that stage. Would Krugersdorp um, South African Police Services have been involved in the investigation of complaints against staff at Lindella? Most definitely. Is it true that Krugersdorp SAP's members were on the Basasa payroll as well? I, I cannot confirm that, but the rumors are true. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go to social media. There's a lot of questions coming in fast and furiously. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 IFM. Doing business without advertising is like winking at a girl in the dark. You know what you're doing, but nobody else does. To find out how High FM can work for your business, 
Call us. 010-140-4090. Celebrate Beauty Fair with Diskem's iconic one-day-only sensational 25% off fragrances. Thursday, 28 February. Beauty Fair now on. It's a fabulous time to save at Diskem. Pharmacists to care. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. You're listening to Angela Agrizi giving us an absolute breakdown in, in, in detail regarding his testimony at the State Capture Commission. What we've heard is, is really eye-raising. Before we went to break, we were chatting about the Lindella Repatriation Center in Krugersdorp where, where illegal aliens are held prior to repatriation. Um, you say your client there was home affairs. What, what would you charge home affairs on average um, for the service to run Lindella? Well, the service you've got to remember is a fixed service. And uh, the, the average cost, if I recall correctly, was between 8 and 9 million rand per month. And I, I don't know what other term to use. For how many inmates? Well, the right term would be for undocumented migrants, but nonetheless, or detainees, uh, we would have between 350 and maybe five, six, seven hundred. With respect, they must have lived like kings, the amount of money that was being paid to, to hold them there. Well, sure. I mean, at that kind of rate, you can put them up in the Hilton, can't you? That is really shocking. Um, let's let's move on. Let's talk about the Watson family. They seem to have been at the centre of Basasa for years. A family not without controversy. Yes. Um, they have a history of being involved in the struggle for the liberation of South Africa. Um, it's something that uh, they've used to their to their advantage for all and sundry to know how they've hosted certain people that were in exile to certain functions, etc. But that that being that, um, who is the Watson family that you grew to knew over nineteen years? Well, Gavin Watson is the oldest um, brother of the, of the Watsons. And then you've got Valence Watson, you've got Chicky Watson, and you've got Roddy Watson. And then their sister, Sharon, but she's more in the background. Are they all involved in the business? No, not at all. Valence Watson is running a um, estate, a wildlife estate in the Port Elizabeth area. Uh, Ronnie Watson has been trying to get a wind farm off the ground in, in the uh, PE area, and Gavin is, is Basasa. So who is the patriarch of the Basasa family as a whole? Well, it, it used to be, because remember, they've been liquidated now, so it used to be Gavin Watson. We're going to go to social media now and look at some of the questions we have here. Um, and please, um, if you are going to send us through messages, send your name so we can give you a shout out. Andy here says, do you feel genuine remorse for the role that you played in corruption? Most definitely. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here today. I wouldn't have spent nine days in, in uh, state capture and actually putting it out there. Another one, Mr. Greasy, do you believe that we are all corruptible and that we all have a price? Unfortunately, I have to say yes to that. Because even, and I said this in the commission, even the Pope would get corrupted. Because it's, it's just so enticing and it's, it's actually such a sickness. It's a disease that takes over. It starts small and it just grows and grows. Gavin Watson was the patriarch, the leader of this organization that almost was run on, on a cult-like um, basis. Was he a micromanager? Did he try to get involved in all aspects of the business? Yes, he, he was a micromanager. He would interfere in absolutely everything that people were busy with. Was it because of his political connections made during the struggle years that he was able to elevate himself and his company to such a point? Most definitely. 
tell us more about the company and its political links. Well, yeah, for instance, if you're entertaining the ruling party or whatever party you're entertaining on a regular basis, um, you have them at your offices, they run election campaigns from there, you're making sure that everything, every whim that they have is catered for. Obviously, you only do that if you're going to get benefit from the ruling party. And unfortunately, that is something that crept into the company quite early on, I'd say in the 2000 and, uh, 2001 period. And it just perpetuated and perpetuated and actually got out of hand. So he was as politically connected as, as one imagines, imagines him to be. Oh, yes, most definitely. Did you ever get to meet any senior um, politicians as a result of his relationship with them? From the president right the way through. Do you believe that they may have necessarily been corrupted or that they were just friends because of the struggle? Well, I can tell you now that a lot of them were corrupted. As simple as that. As I said in state capture, and I read out and went through all the names, a lot of them were corrupted. Gavin Watson received some international recognition. Um, In fact, he got an award called the Trailblazer Award. Tell me a bit about that award. Well, I think that the award was, I was critically involved in that. Well, let me rather say I was, I was called into doing it. Um, Martin Sweet from uh, the foundation that does training for children at um, matric level maths and that they lost, their sponsor moved out at the last time and suddenly, you know, they needed a sponsor. So they approached myself. I don't know, I can't remember how they got hold of my name. And they asked me, can we step in and sponsor two million rand? And obviously, I mean, that's corruption in itself. You get two million rand as a sponsorship and you get an award and it really looks good on the, on the foyer when you walk into the company. That's quite bizarre. Noseweek actually ran a story in its February edition of a, a well-known businessman that runs Stadia in South Africa, having paid various organizations worldwide to recognize him and to give him various awards just to boost his ego. Would you say that Gavin needs a boost to his ego? Why would he involve himself in an award of this nature if, uh, if he's undeserving? Well, I don't, I don't want to go into the personal things and I really don't want to get into a personal discussion about Gavin Watson or the Watson family. Um, it doesn't concern me and what they do doesn't concern me. But I think what, it, what is important is sometimes you come across people that have a narcissistic type of approach in a business environment and it's how do you manage that and how do people manage that? I for one did not know how to manage it. So I fell into the trap. Um, but yes, there's an image issue and the Watsons have always been beyond reproach. Glenda asks the question, did you benefit from this corruption? And if you did, do you plan on paying back the money? Yes, I did benefit. And as a matter of fact, there was a claim that I had outstanding um, to the Watsons and that money will all go to charity. Who is Dr. Jürgen Smith? Um, what is the role that he plays within the Busasa organization? Dr. Jürgen Smith was a phenomenal man. He, he was, and he was one of the founder members of the SBDC. Dr. Smith, a professor from Potsdam University, he was like a mentor to me. He was a, a phenomenal, um, wise, grey matter uh, expert when it came to structure companies and that type of thing. So did he play a corporate governance role or did he just play a role in trying to establish the way the company should be structured? I would say that Dr. Jürgen Smith was a balance um, in the company. He was necessary there. He kept the balance. He kept um, Gavin Watson on the straight and narrow for a long time. 
Um, he really tried his best to assist in resolving disputes that would come up. So he was a mentor to all of us there. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. You're listening to Confidential Brief, an extremely interesting conversation today with Angelo Agrizi. Once again, Angelo, thank you so much for taking the time to come in and to chat to us, especially considering what you're now going through. You're now and accused in a in a corruption matter, despite the fact that uh, you were whistleblowing on it. Let's talk about that for a second. Um, what do you think the message is being sent when a whistleblower, somebody who has acknowledged their role, etc., is arrested so soon after giving testimony at a, a inquiry? Well, it was a bit shocking for us, and I think uh, what's important to note is that there's a team of, of whistleblowers, and they committed, just so you know, for the next... Uh, year, eight months to a year, to helping wherever we can to uncover the scourge. We've been working on it for two years, and it's a bit sad for us to be arrested. We know that perhaps there was some reasoning behind it. I'm not too sure. And unfortunately, that kind of sends out a message to the general whistleblowers, which we didn't want, that, you know, rather, rather don't say anything because you're going to get locked up. So I must say, though, that the arrest was done very professionally. It was um, the gentlemen that were involved with it were extremely helpful, and they were accommodating at all times. So, uh, you know, well done to them, I must say. The NPA, I must say, in my opinion, is doing a great job there. Um, even with us, I think that, unfortunately, whoever gave the instruction, um, they made a bit of a mess up there. So it's going to be a job to try and get whistleblowers to come out of their shells again. I believe Advocate Batoy was taken by surprise. Um, she had just been appointed into the job, and she was unaware that these arrests were imminent. Yeah, I believe so. Um, I don't know the detail. I know that there are investigations going on, and I'll... I'll keep my eyes open and my ears, my eyes fixed on it and see what actually transpires. Angela, having participated in this commission of inquiry and telling us now on air that you and some other whistleblowers have been wanting to do this for two years now, you've come with evidence, you've come with videos, you've come with recordings, etc. The obvious question for the average South African is whether this commission is going to make any difference. We've seen countless commissions of inquiries over the years and nothing's come of it. Do you think the time has come for a disruption, for a change? I think from what I can gather... And what people are telling me, I believe that we're going through historically a total game-changing process in South Africa at the moment. You must remember, for so many, for so long, people have just accepted corruption and life has carried on. People have now become aware to it. I believe the State Capture Commission has done phenomenal work with some other cases. I think the team that they've got at State Capture is brilliant from the investigations team who I work very closely with, right the way through to the evidence leaders, their legal team, and I think Judge Zondo has got his heart in the right place. He's there to try and help the government and help the country heal itself. Yet there's still room for error. We found out last week that uh, the security company that's supplying the security for the Commission of Inquiry is actually a Basasa-owned company. Well, Chad, I actually let the cat out the bag with that one, and that's how everybody got to know about it. Um, The interesting thing is that as soon as something was done, was mentioned, something was done about it. And that impresses me. Judge Zondo doesn't take uh, time doing things, but he immediately gets out there and starts working on things. 
Um, Jenny asks the question, is there anything that you could tell us that would make sense um, with regards to what's actually happening in South Africa at the present moment? I'd rather not comment, but I can tell you that I honestly believe that our President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa has his heart in the right place. He's got the backup of the right people. If you look at people like Shamila Batoy as the new NDPP, she is phenomenally well-trained, and I honestly believe they're going to make a difference. Alex has asked the question, what do you think should happen to corrupt officials? Corrupt officials should be locked up and they should be prosecuted. Well, in, in terms of that, we've now seen that um, the Special Investigating Unit now once again has a tribunal. It was proclaimed last week by the President, and today in breaking news, the President has actually already appointed a judge to head this up. We saw in the late 90s, going into the early 2000s, that with the Heath Special Investigating Unit, he had a tribunal linked that was able to expedite settlements for the state, etc. Do you believe this will go away in in ensuring that corrupt officials are held accountable if there's one thing that we've achieved and that's making people aware of the extent of corruption and i think i'm happy with that i'm happy with the fact that that has our testimony at state capture has now sparked off these tribunals i honestly believe the tribunals will make a difference sam asked the question are you going to make a deal that would protect you from prosecution Right from the onset, there was never ever a deal spoken about. I never went there and none of the whistleblowers went in with the intention of making deals. Otherwise, why would we have, uh, just common sense would tell us, why would we have gone and blurted out the truth and not have had a deal in place? Is there a deal in place? There's no deal in place whatsoever. Several banks recently closed accounts for Basasa, leading to Basasa declaring a voluntary liquidation. I've heard stories that Basasa was so powerful at a stage that they could actually have the bank accounts of other com- companies that they had issues with closed. Is this true? That is true. Could you elaborate? Well, there's one company in Euro business that was the bank account was just merely taken over. It was just scooped up. And purely because of the influence that they had, I remember the lady, uh, the lady, the, the person that was running it was a uh, Dr. Denise Bjorkman, and she phoned me up in in a state because they'd just taken over the bank account, and now their accounts are closed. On a serious note, what are your thoughts about the four thousand five hundred people who've lost their jobs because of the liquidation of Basasa and its associated companies? You know, Chad, everybody's got the 4,500 people, and I think there's something like 2,000 contractors that they've mentioned. There's no such thing. The people that were employed by Basasa are close to about, I'd say, 2,300 maximum, and there are no contractors except maybe four painting contractors. But at the end of the day, I do feel for the people. But remember, the, the rank and file, the normal employee, would be taken up by the state. And we've seen this before. When Basasa lost a contract in the early 2007s to government, to correctional services, they absorbed all those staff. I'm actually happy for them. Because those uh, staff that are in uh, correctional centers, those that are in the youth centers, will actually get now gainful employment because their salary structure of government is much higher than that of resources. So they actually, I remember seeing a poster at one of the uh, toy toys that took place outside Basasa where it says, thank you, Agritzi, now we can at least earn a living wage. 
Should we as a country be concerned from a safety perspective that the impact Basasa has had on the correctional services hearing about food um, that that had prices inflated or wasn't delivered, etc., could result in in issues with our with our prisoners, with our prison system, perhaps even result in prison riots. Well, you must remember our prison system in South Africa is currently sitting at about two hundred and thirty percent of capacity. If we do not manage it correctly, and I do believe that the team that they've got there will manage it correctly, yes, a transition could create havoc. Quite simply, I honestly believe that at this stage, the um, team that they've got, the war room that they've got going, will be able to successfully transfer to, to be able to provide the services. Very good question from Daniel. He says, please could you ask your guest what he thinks can be done to decrease government corruption? This is a controversial, <laughs> but involve specialists like yourself, Chad. Involve specialists that understand the industry, that come from the private sector. Put one or two of them in each department and see the change they make. Let's have a look at the post office. Let's see the change that has happened there. Um, and you need that perspective. You need somebody like a Chad or an Angelo that can go out there and actually help and give them a different way of doing things. Kolani Nkwe. Kazi, I hope I pronounced your name right. Thank you for the message. He says, how did they pay Jacob Zuma? I'm assuming he's asking how did Basasa pay Jacob Zuma. Was Jacob Zuma paid? Isn't an allegation. If it was, how was it facilitated? Well, it was facilitated through Dudu Miani, and she was given the money every month. It was 300,000 rand in cash. That's a lot of money. Let's get back to the whole cult of religion. Religion seems to play a huge role in the ideology behind the running of Basasa and associated companies. Um, a lady's name keeps on popping up. I need to know what role she played. Who is Lindy Chos? Lindy Chos was employed as she was previously, I think, a secretary in, the, in Meritim's days before Diambu. And then when Diambu translated, when Diambu started in, 19, in the early 1990s, she was then made marketing. And if I'm not mistaken, she was a, became a director. Um, in 2004, I think uh, things just didn't work out between her and the company. And we actually asked her to take a sabbatical from the company and leave the company. She then started a publication called My World um, Multimedia, which was purportedly a Christian magazine, and she would minister all over the, the country. But as with everything else, it uh, just fizzled out. Who funded that? Basasa did. So she left and they funded this new organization for her? Yes. Why would they do that for somebody who's left their employee? Well, you know, Chad, you're asking me very difficult questions now. And as I said to Judge Zondo, some of these questions, you know, just don't want, to, we just don't want to answer them. Um, but let's say, you know, if you've got a very close relation, and I mean a really close relationship, um, and you want to utilize that um, service, and you think, well, you believe that the motives are correct, so then you'd go and you'd sponsor it to any tune. Hopefully we're going to find out more about that in the weeks and months to come. You mentioned Diambo. What was their role in the entire structure of Basasa? Well, remember, Diambo was a black empowerment grouping of ladies, um, which included some of the ladies that are in government today. But Diambo was very importantly one of the pioneers in trying out uh, BEE and economic empowerment. And then you had Danny Mansell and Gavin Watson that bought into the company as well. 
Eventually they then got rid of the ladies and, and eventually it was just Danny Mansell and Gavin Watson. Gavin Watson and Danny Mansell separated and Gavin Watson then decided to change the name to Basasa. We're going to take a break. You can SMS us on 34519 or you can WhatsApp us your questions on 061-895-1019. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. You're listening to Confidential Brief. Today we're chatting to to Angelo Grisi about the important topic of state capture, the testimony that he made at the Zonda Commission. And uh, we've been taking your questions. Um, one of them has just come through from Benedita Gordon. It says, and this is addressed to you, Angelo. It says, how do you sleep at night knowing you're a part of Basasa? What made you want to be a whistleblower? Well, I sleep very well at night. Previously, I didn't, Chad. But uh, to answer your listener's question, I think that you must remember that uh, you get caught up in a cult in that kind of environment. I used to not sleep. Now I actually sleep very, very well. Um, Carabella says, Angela Greasy is, is correct. Corrupt officials should be prosecuted. But with the overflow of our prisons, imprisonment is not an option. Fines would work better. That way they get to pay back what they accepted as bribes. Very interesting take on that. What would you say to that? Well, I agree to, to, to a certain point. I say, yes, there needs to be a payback, and they need to pay back the money, and there needs to be a seizure of assets and that type of thing. You're 100% right. Our prisons are overfull. Are we achieving anything by locking people up? I don't think so. I think these people should be put to work to go out there and to actually add value to the community at large, whether it be hospitals, whether it be uh, teaching um, young kids, whether it be looking after the aged. Um, they need to be put to work. Paul asks the question, Dudu Mayeni was paid 300k per month. How does a greasy know that this ended up with Jay-Z? Well, he might test me, and I don't want to go too much into it, but he might test me. If you look at it in state capture, it's very clear that Gavin Watson then went to Nkandla, had a meeting with the pre, with Zuma, and asked Zuma directly, had a bag with him, gave it to Zuma and says, are you getting this on a monthly basis? Were you ever at Nkandla? No, I refused to go. Union buildings or the official residence of the president? I refuse to go. Why is that? I just have a major issue with that, and I have a major issue with the way he did things. You must remember something. When he came into, a par- when he came into power, our rand was at 796, I think it was. What is it sitting at now? A number of people that you named at the state capture inquiry as having received bribes for different purposes have categorically denied ever receiving um, such bribes. If we look at what's happening at the Mkhoro inquiry with Advocate Jim and Advocate Marebi, they actually brought this up specifically. Do you stand by your testimony? Chad, I stood there, I took the oath, and I told the truth as it is. I know there's been comments thrown, like uh, Mantash would say, no, but come have a look. Yes, there are cameras, but I didn't take a bribe. I'm sorry. Kathy asks the question, why did you instruct somebody to secretly film what was going on at Busasa? Well, it just wasn't somebody. It was actually Andres van Tonda. And the reason why we did that, and it was not an instruction but more mutual agreement that we thought long and hard about, was because Gavin Watson's signature appears nowhere and we needed to prove that he was well aware of everything. We're going to take our final break of the day. If you want to get those questions in, the SMS is 34519. The WhatsApp is 061-895-1019. You are not going to have an opportunity like this again where you can actually ask Angelo Agrizi questions pertaining to his testimony. 
You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. It's the greatest, it's the biggest, it's the Chai FM Great big Hammondstag challenge Can you help us find Joburg's number one Hammondstag champion? It could be you How will, uh, and, and, and it has to go on this live read How many Hammondtasad would you eat in 10 minutes? Start practicing it now because it will be worth your while 2,000 rands in cold, hold, in cold hard cash And 1,000 more in vouchers at Nordmore for the champion Register by emailing info at chaifm.com today The competition will be held at Nordmore at 5pm on Thursday, the 14th of March. Everyone has an inner champion. Feed yours this Purim. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of Purim fun. So what I love about being on the station. I learn so much and I get to pronounce Yiddish and Hebrew terms I never thought I would ever pronounce in a million years. But a far more serious note, we're chatting to Angelo Agrizi today about the scourge of state capture and how it has impacted on our country, it's impacted on our economy, and it's created a massive divide between the haves and the have-nots. In fact, one of the biggest disparities in the world. What do you think can can happen to stop the scourge of public and private sector collaboration um, with the intent of stealing from the public purse, Angelo? You know, what we need to do is become more vigilant. We need more business people that have come out of business, retirees. Let's get them in. Let's get their advice. Let's get their help. Let's get them to oversee some of these contract awards. I think what's critical for the country is to get skill sets in that are able to identify these things and be able to sort them out immediately as they happen. Going to social media, Mr. Greasy seems to disassociate himself from the corruption. Is this a coping mechanism or does he feel like he sits outside of it? And that message is from Steve. Steve, my answer in the commission when I started was I was part of the corruption. I have never distanced myself from it. I'm merely giving the insight into it. That's been my intention all along. Howard Feldman quotes you here as saying that even the Pope could be corrupted. Do you honestly believe everybody has it in them to be corrupted? Unfortunately, I have to say yes. I think that I've seen top government officials that I thought were incorruptible get corrupted. I want to use the example of, and I don't want to mention names, but somebody who headed up the scoper who was, in my opinion, incorruptible that unfortunately fell for it. That was one of the biggest shocks. I literally fell off my chair because the politician you, you're speaking about, um, and it has been named in the public domain, Vincent Smith, is somebody that was held in high admiration by many people um, with regards to, to certain aspects of, of questions he had asked others supposedly be involved in state capture. It came as a shock to all of us, and I think where you have Gwede Mantashe accepting the fact that he accepted this yeah. shows that there's a line that, that needs to be drawn. Um, when is something a gift? When is something a bribe? And what actually constitutes gratification? Where do you say the line should be drawn? The line should be drawn, as Judge Preller put it in a judgment that he once put. He said, you know, the occasional um, brandy and coke at the bar council, that's kind of okay. But once you start pushing the limits and you start giving a bottle of brandy out, that's actually a bribe. You speak specifically about certain politicians asking for specific items that they would actually go to the extent of having a shopping list. X amount of sheep to be slaughtered for a bribe, X amount of chicken packs, X amount of cold drinks. Has it become so endemic in South Africa corruption that people don't even realize that what they're asking for constitutes a corrupt act? 
I think the biggest problem we have in South Africa is the sense of entitlement, which is now being exasperated and people fall for corruption. It's become, in, it's become a major mess in this country. Um, the sooner we, we start letting people realize what the levels are of corruption um, and what one should and should not do, I think eventually then we'll, we'll be okay. Uh, Opa says, hi, Angelo. Do you think the Watsons are still in the country? That's a good question. Very good question, Opa. I wouldn't know. I don't track them. <laughs> um, let's get back to the reality of, of state capture and corruption. Um, would you say that the only way you could have obtained the contracts and maintained and kept those contracts would have been through these corrupt acts that you've described at the Commission of Inquiry? I had a long debate for many, many years with Mr. Gavin Watson and the Board of Directors. I honestly believe that we offered such a brilliant service at Basasa that there was no need for corruption or to be political. My aim for the last five years was to try and make it an apolitical company where I advocated that we stop all this corruption, clean up our act, and become apolitical. Can we turn the corner or is it a generational change that has to take place with respect to this culture of corruption and entitlement, as you put? No, we can't turn the, the corner. I honestly believe the youth that are coming up here, um, the, people, the youth that are in our universities at the moment and that, I think that this is one of the 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 pivotal points where they can take this now, see what has happened and build the future going forward. Angela, retrospect, hindsight, 2020, we all talk about it. But if you could have done something differently in the last 19 years, what would you have done differently? I would have stayed away from Basasa. Unfortunately, I got sucked into this thing and I became part of it. And I would have done it a bit differently, yes. If you had to, and I'm sorry to, to ask you to guesstimate, but if you had to guesstimate the number of private organizations that have government contracts, what percentage of those companies do you think in some way paid a bribe to obtain those tenders or those contracts? If we're talking large-scale bribe and not the occasional trip or holiday. Large-scale. Large-scale. I think you're talking about 65% at the moment. And that directly impacts on the public purse. Of course. I mean, it impacts on what you're paying in taxes, what I'm paying in taxes. I had a look at the debt clock of South Africa. It's scary. Angela, if you had to have a, a, a means to be able to institute a policy to be able to overcome this, having been in the belly of the beast, what would your recommendation be to government and corporates where there is a relationship to be had because one must remember that the single biggest employer and grantor of contracts in the country is the public sector and there is a symbiotic relationship that exists between the public and private sector going back now over these 19 years seeing what has occurred what needs to be done by companies and government to prevent this from happening? You know, I had a very simple rule in, in the business I wouldn't allow suppliers to meet or see with the people that would purchase from them. I wouldn't allow meetings, lunches, or anything like that. Government needs to apply exactly the same thing. They started off with the centralized procurement system, which was headed up that time by, I think, Mr. Kenneth Brown. They should have continued with that, and they should make that the mechanism for oversight. And further to that, employ top businessmen who've got the country at heart. 
to go and serve on that panel so that it's, number one, quick, effective, and that you can make sure that it's beyond reproach and channel everything government buys through one single source. My last question for you for today, and, and I do appreciate you coming in. Um, you've testified. You've opened up. You've made some starting revelations, and you were then arrested. What advice do you give other people that were in your position who are now nervous to come forward because they may be afraid that they are arrested following their testimony? Still do it. Do it, even if they're going to arrest you. So what? If they arrest you, you're going to spend an hour or so in front of a magistrate, and you're going to tell your story, and the truth will always come out. So quite simply, I mean, I've got 110 pages to go back to um, in my supplementaries. I still haven't completed my testimony in theory, and I need to go back and give more evidence. So don't stop. Go out there, do it, um, and work with the authorities, because if we don't, what's going to happen to the children going forward? Angelo Agrizi, thank you for today. Thank you for your testimony. And let's hope more whistleblowers come forward and more people come forward and they aren't, um, you know, turned down. Um, do you believe, and I know it was the last question, but I have to ask sure. this. Do you believe that the Zondo Commission has enough time and enough terms of reference to get through the major state capture that has taken place? I'm a pretty good judge of people. The team, the investigations team that is there, the team from um, the legal side are brilliant. They will get through it. Well, you're listening to Confidential Brief. I am the eternal optimist. Again, Andrew Greasy, thank you so much for joining us today. Grazie mille. And to all your listeners, thank you for your support, and we look forward to your continued support. Please, it gets the word, um, get rid of corruption out there, and we appreciate it. Let's all join in turning the corner and fighting corruption. I'll be back same time, same place, right here on 101.9 High FM.